welcome to Bard Talk. I'm your host, Josh. And today we get to do delve into something that I think everybody's going to find interesting. Uh, I want to talk about arguing. Yes, everybody's favorite activity, especially if you're online. If, if you're online, the, the false cloak of anonymity probably brings out this side of you that you definitely wouldn't display in person. And that's uh, the whole propensity everybody has to argue, like about everything, literally all the time. It's kind of perplexing to me how uh, we we used to have a thing called beer beer muscles, where like people would drink alcohol, and then all of a sudden they had this superhuman strength and they could get into fights with anybody with impunity. Usually those people woke up the next day rather sore, but the internet has bred this uh, I don't know this really petty cloak of anonymity that gets people so riled up about topics that they have no issue casting out arguments and getting into fights and making absurd claims and well I just you know arguing's not enough for me I think if you're gonna argue you might as well be good at it right now here's the thing I can't teach you to be good at arguing I don't know what you believe in or what your thought process is that's gonna be on you Haas but one of the things I can do is help you recognize a bad argument. So arguments are usually composed of points and counterpoints and people will pepper in certain tactics to try to win an argument. And I for some reason have like an expert bloodhound level sniffer when it comes out when it comes to sniffing out these fallacies. So here we go. If you've never heard the term fallacy before, you're in for a treat. A fallacy is a tactic used in an argument or a way of arguing that pretty much means that person doesn't have a point. And so they're going to use external points or, or ta these tactics in order to try to pull one over on you. Um, I find it especially useful if I'm trying to form an idea on something I'll listen to multiple sources to try to get the best information I can about an idea and then present that idea. Um, one of the one of the the things that you you I think most people go to is like internet forums, websites, social media, the news, um, and the news in its various forms. I think the worst form of news these days is really television news. And it's only because I do believe that, they're driven, their sole motivation is to sell content to advertisers. If they get so many views, then those views make them more profitable for people to sell commercials during the breaks. And it often muddies what they, what they need to say. Uh, instead of just presenting facts or the stories as is, they have to pepper in a bunch of things to make it exciting, to make it palatable for the viewer to ingest the information. And, and I think there's a fine balance there, but I just, overall, I find most news um, really just ugh, gross. And, and when I say news, I'm not talking about your local, your local Channel 6 or whatever, Action, ABC News. Those kind of things are, are usually pretty good. Um, it's, it's the national networks. It's the cable networks with the personalities and the talking heads who will go on for hours and it's it's just ridiculous how much they pepper in 
their opinions versus providing you with the facts of the day. And if you watch any of the major talking heads and you listen to this episode, you'd probably be able to pick all of these out easily. Um, it's not hard. They use almost every one of these tactics in their arguments with people, with guests, no less, that they have on. Um, that's one, one thing, like, God forbid I ever got to a nationally recognized level and I got calls from these idiots because I would refuse all interviews. I have no interest on going on somebody's show and being barked at about idealistic or ideologies that are so foreign to me. I, I, I just, I don't care. I think it's stupid. So, a fallacy as defined by the dictionary is a mistaken belief, especially one based on un an unsound argument, or a failure in reasoning which renders an argument invalid. It may even be functionally misleading or just unsound. And there are tons of fallacies. If you go on any internet search and you look up how many fallacies can be employed, you'll get 10, 15, 20. Like, these are, these are just things that people use that have gotten a label now because they're so prevalent in society. But let's go ahead and delve into them. Um, I think probably one of the most overused and ridiculous fallacies in an argument is the good old straw man. Now you've probably heard that term, um, and even if you haven't, you can picture in your head a scarecrow, a straw man, that dude from the Wizard of Oz, it doesn't matter. But basically, it's an exaggeration of a point in an attempt to re replace or represent a real argument. Hey Bob, you know, I was just reading on Yahoo Finance that it's a good idea to keep uh, an open credit limit on your credit card, like, you know, buy lunch or gas and pay it off at the end of the month. I hear it's really healthy and helps you build your credit score. Well, you know what I think? I think that credit cards are trying to replace currency and paper money because the government wants to create a one-world government, and that's easily done if we don't use paper money anymore. That's uh, pretty much an oversimplification of a straw man, but the idea is you invite an exaggerated idea into the argument, and the seller is trying to get you to believe that if X happens, uh, you know, the world's doomed or whatever. I, it's it's over-exaggerified, but you get the point. A straw man entered into the argument is always going to be an oversimplified, over-exaggerated response to whatever you have to say. So you could say something, you know, I, I witnessed an argue, argument real recently where somebody was like, the NAACP is a racist organization and they hate white people. No evidence presented. None. Not, not a link, not nothing. Um... Could, could you make an argument for that? I don't know. If you took the time, maybe you could find a couple things that they've done that are a little unsavory, but I think for the most part, it's an organization to help defend and, uh, you know, work for people of minorities and disparities. So it's, again, an oversimplification of something, but that's what a straw man is. It's, it's when you are losing a fight and you put up an argument that's so ridiculous that you try to get the person to start arguing about that ridiculousness. So if you're in an argument and somebody whips out this really oversimplified term with no evidence to back it up, you know you're dealing with somebody who's using a straw man. So that's our very first fallacy. Moving on, 
My next most favorite fallacy is the no true Scotsman fallacy. This really applies to any purity in an argument or purity in a movement or cause or purpose. And it's, it's one of those that gets whipped out like almost with some unearned sense of ego too. Like the people are really proud that they hold this mentality. But I'll give you an example of the no true Scotsman. Look, Jim, I, I like firearms too. You know me, I carry one most of the time, but I don't think it's such a big deal that you have to go through a background check to see if like you're illegal to buy it. I don't understand why everybody puts up such a fight about this. Well, let me learn you a thing or two, Bob, because no real proud patriot would ever back any Democrat-led bill for universal background checks. And you not believing in everybody's right to carry around a rocket launcher is really antithetical to the movement. So here you see somebody is appealing to the purity. You know, if you don't believe in absolute anarchy when it comes to firearm laws, you're not pro-gun. And you can apply this, like, over a wide spectrum of arguments. And the people that whip it out are always just so proud that they have this puritanical belief about their thing, their argument. It's, it's, it just, it's not a compelling point. There's no research in it. You're only appealing to somebody's emotions. You're not giving them any factual evidence to chew on. And it's one of the dumber fallacies, but you'd be surprised how often it pops up. Again, in nerd culture... It's like if you start arguing about characters and stuff, you'll hear somebody eventually say, well, no true fan of blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Uh, maybe that argument is going to die off, I think, as people have more ready access to information, which in its own right causes a lot of fights, but we'll just keep chugging along. So my next favorite fallacy is the black and white. I love getting into arguments with people who see things black and white. If this, then this. If not this, then this. And there's absolutely no modicum of, of finite truths or, or finesse in any type of argument they use. Everything's always black and white. A good example of the black and white argument is always when somebody's led to an answer. So, for example, you'd have this kind of little gem. Look, man, I'm not saying I hate the troops. I'm just saying I don't think we should be going and uh, starting a war with every other country. Like, it seems really impractical. Oh, so you don't like the troops fighting our enemies overseas, is that it? You don't want to see our troops uh, succeed and, and press freedom into other countries? Wow, I'm really thinking differently about you now. Again, black and white is kind of also known as the either-or fallacy. It's, it's either this or that, and there's no shades of nuance in between. You don't see this one come up on the internet so much as you hear people in real life kind of do this thing. And it's, you know, it's an easy trap to fall into if you think in black and white and you don't see anything wrong with, you know, feeling like, oh, well, if you support the troops, you have to support the wars that they're in. Or if you don't support the wars they're in, you don't support the troops. Like, there are so many shades of nuance in between that. And it's ridiculous when somebody pulls this one out. But they do. And it usually just trying to lead them to an answer that the person who wants to win the argument is going to get at. For sure, I think that 
this leads perfectly into the next fallacy, which is known as the Texas sharpshooter. Now, I this this fallacy is so funny to me. First, I love the name Texas sharpshooter fallacy is great, but it it came from uh, an old saying where I guess like a Texas sharpshooter is somebody who would walk out to a barn shoot the barn with a, a cylinder full of bullets and then paint the bullseye <laughs> around the holes in the barn. So you probably will hear this more when it comes to investing or somebody arguing about money or results of a certain thing. Like for instance, well, you know, 87% of all deaths from Corona were in nursing homes. Therefore, it's only deadly to people who are over 65 and are overweight or have other extenuating factors. Um, this might be true, Tim, but you know, like my best friend who was 34 died from Corona. So it's kind of deadly to everybody. Again, if you're looking from the outside in, that person seems to have all of their data. They're bringing facts into it. it but they completely ignore that statistics have margins. So that means that in order to get that middle sample, there has to be extremes on both ends. And yeah, maybe they're not wrong. Maybe the coronavirus is super deadly to people who are older and have premorbidities. But that doesn't mean that everybody who isn't in that group isn't also affected. So I, you know, it's, I had to look this one up because, um, I've heard a lot of people use it in regards to the coronavirus, in regards to like lockdowns and things like that. Um, and it is exactly what it is. It's Texas sharpshooting. Um, I think another name for it is like the cluster strategy or whatever. But it's basically just painting your, your, your bullet shots or your argument points into your bullseye to make it look like you have some sort of accuracy in your argument. It's, it's complete hogwash. The next one I don't think gets too much play, like in open conversation, but it's more hinted at. It's called moving the goalpost. And moving the goalpost, I think the best example ever was on the Chappelle show. Um, moving the goalpost is when you make a point, it's unrefutable, and then the person just moves the goalpost back. And when I say that Chappelle did it the best, um, they did a whole mock trial of R. Kelly. And in the trial, they were like, oh, well, you know, here's a, a pictures and videotape of R. Kelly pissing on a 14-year-old girl. And his defense lawyer is like, nope, I, I, I don't refute that that's a picture, but I can't prove that that's my client. I would have to see video of my client holding a newspaper with today's date and the victim holding up her ID and then so like they produce that and then they're like your honor this clearly wouldn't have happened you would have to provide evidence of the teen with her id out r kelly holding a newspaper with that date and his mother in the room verifying that was him that's the only way i'm going to believe it and it's like you just keep asking for these extenuating proofs like you know i don't believe in climate change because we have hot summers. Well, actually, you know, the, the hot summers and, and warm winters are proof that, you know, the, the earth is heating up due to an excess of carbon. Well, but, you know, we've only been studying weather for 150 years. Like, where's the proof of, of a thousand years ago? How do you know this isn't a cycle? 
and so on and so forth. Like they, they acknowledge that you've made a point and that you've brought facts into it, but they keep extending the goalpost so that no matter how far you kick the ball, you're never going to get it to the point where they believe it. And again, it's something that people use to great effect because they're not disputing you. They're not saying that what you're saying is wrong. There's no ad hominem attack. But it's definitely a tactic that it's just like you're not going to convince them regardless of what proof or facts you bring to the the argument yes and for the record for everybody who can hear that rhythmic snoring in the background that's darley my 13 year old dalmatian and honestly i've said it before i don't have a soundproof studio that i record this in and sometimes you get some funny sounds um i had just given him some treats and taking him out before I started the podcast, and now he's back there sawing wood, and I know you can hear it in the background, but I can't do anything about it. So, while we're talking about ad hominins, let's get into the ad hominin fallacy. Ad hominin just means against the man, and this fallacy is probably best displayed by, oh, I don't know, every political candidate who's ever run for office ever in the history of voting, It's a personal attack. It's when you go after somebody's character to discredit them. So, you know, you go all the way back to Jefferson and Adams, who weren't the greatest people in the world, but they were running for president. And, you know, Adams is calling Jefferson, like, you know, uh, a whoremonger, and he's in bed with France. And Jefferson implied that Adams was a hermaphrodite. I mean, they're really ridiculous claims. But I've seen it in arguments before where somebody's just like, uh, on a milder form, like, oh, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business in pottery. Um, I really want to get into an art project and maybe sell some of my work. Oh, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Don't you work in finance? Like, what do you know about pottery and glazing and everything that's required to start a business? That seems like a waste of money, Jim. Now, like, that's a very mild form of an ad hominem attack, but it is basically somebody just discrediting that person for whatever reason. I don't think I have to explain this one because it's used all the time on the internet. Like, oh, how dare you? You know, you have 300 followers. Like, nobody listens to what you say anyways. It's a really petty and stupid fallacy and I don't think it paints the person who's being attacked as anything other than a victim. And the people that use it are pretty easy to suss out. And, you know, why would you listen to what they say anyways? Oops, I just used an ad hominem attack. It's, honestly, it's one of those ones used all the time. Um, I think it's pettiness in an argument anyways that breeds it, so... I don't have to provide too many examples for an ad hominem. I think we all get it. My next favorite one, and it's the one, again, I hate to take it to a political level, but it's always bantered about during political season, and that's known as the slippery slope or the domino. And, you know, in honesty, you can stack fallacies, and if one gets stacked more than the other, it's probably the slippery slope. The slippery slope is the easiest one to understand. It's when somebody makes an argument that if X happens, the next 10 logical things or illogical things are going to happen because that's how nature works. Like everything's a domino effect. Everything, this goes to this. You know, Bill, I just don't understand why prostitution is illegal. 
Like, it's been going on since the dawn of the century. It's got to be one of the oldest professions. Who does it matter as long as everybody's consenting if money's exchanged between two adults? Oh, well, let me tell you. If we legalize prostitution, that's going to make marriages break up, which in turn is going to break down the family structure, and that's going to result in children doing drugs early and the destruction of civilization. If we legalize prostitution tomorrow, within a week, America would be bankrupt. I know it's a really extreme example. Maybe a straw man example. But the point is, like, it's always this lead-to conversation about how if one piece of the puzzle falls off the whole puzzle gets destroyed and i just i that one i see bantered everywhere everybody has these wild ass logical notions about how one missing piece i'll give you another good example all of the people that were saying you know during the capitol riots like oh well, democracy is fragile and if if senators can't go to work and feel safe then our democracy can't function and that means that our country's going to you know dissipate and we're going to have a civil war come on slow calm down relax don't go off on a tangent don't imagine things that may be likely but don't go imagine things that haven't happened just yet Slippery slopes are, are found almost everywhere, and everybody has their idea of what will happen next. They're predicting the future. It's pretty common. It's a normal, you know, thinking human thing to do. But whenever anybody whips that out, I just kind of feel like your argument's falling apart, and so you're trying to appeal to my emotions again by stating that if X happens, we get the next chain of events. And it's just silly. I, it's one that I, I absolutely avoid. I don't use it no matter what. Not that I try and go out of my way to use fallacies, but I'll get, that. I'll get to that in the end. The next fallacy is a pretty stupid one, but it's the appeal to ignorance. It's always the, you know, if we don't know, then it has to be this. I... <laughs> oh, I'm going to get so much crap for this, but, like, people that believe in paranormal activities always use this fallacy you can't explain it so it has to be x uh you know hey man um you know late night at my house i heard my cabinet doors slam so it must be haunted well yeah it's a possibility i guess but you know maybe your cat was playing with them or there was a gust of wind or a change in pressure no man like it's a ghost i know we don't know, like, there was no reason for that to happen, and so on and so on. The appeal to ignorance is is one of those things that, again, I get, I think it gets whipped out for almost every argument involving nuclear energy. There's so few people that understand nuclear energy, and their ideas are just like, well, man, did you see Chernobyl on HBO? Like, that could happen here in America. Like, well, time out. Why don't you present to me the facts about how that could happen? Why don't you do a little research? Now, if you're just going to prey on me not knowing the content matter, I got bad news for you. If I'm invested in this argument, I'm going to go look up the content matter. And in an age when we have these little devices that access information stores the world has never seen before, it's a really bad fallacy to use. But people do it. I mean, whatever. It's their right, I guess. Probably riding in on the coattails of the appeal to ignorance is always the appeal to authority. 
And appeal of authority is just an argument based off of somebody's so-called expert in the field, and they're going to use them as their, their anecdotal evidence that their argument is dead right. Now, I'm not saying that the appeal authority doesn't have some truth to it. Like, if you point out that, you know, oh, scientists studying ice in Antarctica are realizing that the deep core ice is retreating and melting and a lot of glaciers are falling off into the sea and releasing diatomes, causing the oxygen content in the ocean water to go up, so on and so forth. Like, that's a proper use. That's, that's an actual fact. The appeal authority usually has some kind of, like, questionable authority involved. So this fallacy I'd really call more like the appeal to, like, unrecognized authority. Like, uh, hey man, I'm thinking about buying a Honda Civic. What do you think? Oh man, my brother worked for a Honda dealership and those cars are crap. He said he used to sell them the suckers every day and they're just plain horrible cars. So, <laughs> you know, you can have brand loyalties, that's fine. And maybe his brother really does work at the dealership. And maybe that's a crooked dealership and they sell crap cars, but that doesn't mean that an entire brand is crap because of the anecdotal evidence of one person. And again, it's an appeal to, you know, your emotions via some fact lever. And I don't want it to be confused with, like, actual authority. Like, if your brother... If his brother is an engineer at Honda and and he knows like oh there's some diesel gate level thing going on where they're selling cars that are being tampered with in order to pass certain emission structures whatever you get what I'm trying to say there is a legitimate use to the appeal to authority there's a way you can reference experts in the field but that's not what this fallacy is this fallacy is referencing people related to the field not experts car salesmen great people not dissing them not experts about cars while we're talking about cars and it's an easy example to make let's talk about the bandwagon fallacy bandwagoners love their content if you start to argue with a bandwagoner you better believe at some point you're going to get a bandwagon fallacy and if you're a little sketchy about what this one is let me give you this example to clear it right up. Hey Jim, I'm thinking about buying a truck. Um, I kind of have my heart set on Dodge, but what do you think? You've owned a couple pickup trucks. Well, let me tell you Terry, Chevy and Ford are the only American truck manufacturers that do fleet sales. That means they sell to the government. And hell, if it's good enough for the government, it's got to be the best truck. I wouldn't even look at a Dodge. So, in this example, and with bandwagoners, there's no evidence that, I mean, that, okay, so there's some truth to the fact that Dodge doesn't do fleet sales, if you look it up, but that's because they can't. They can't produce mass-produce trucks like Ford and Chevy does. Does that make them a superior brand, or does it just mean that Ford and Chevy can crank out trucks in volumes that the government's interested in? I mean, you take your pick, but bandwagoners will argue that that's anecdotal evidence and that's good enough. So if you ever caught in an argument and somebody pulls out the old bandwagoner thing, just know that their leanings are that way because that's the product that they use and trust. 
And this isn't just regulated to that. I mean, bandwagoners come in all sorts and shapes, certainly in nerddom, certainly in people who have strong affection for any product or, or fandom, you know, whatever. Bandwagoners, you get it. Now, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the red herring fallacy. The red herring fallacy is another one of those that has like a kind of funny origin story and it's basically just people that used to train hunting dogs would take a smelly fish, a red herring, and they would put it out in the field and then try to get their dog to track down the chosen prey that they wanted to see if the dog would go after the smelly fish because, you know, that smell is going to be more pungent and ominous. Um, you see this one I mean I honestly I don't get exposed to it and if I do I'm not really good at sniffing it out or worse yet I'm really good at using it but an example of a red herring might be something like well why are we raising taxes well we need to increase taxes to generate more revenue to support existing commitments to primary school education after all children represent the future of the country don't we so we must always absolutely support them 100%. Don't you agree? And then, you know, it, it it addresses the question, but, you know, taxes pay for a large majority of things. So a raise in taxes might necessarily not have anything to do with primary school. But if you can bait somebody into agreeing with something in the argument to ignore the weaker points of it, you know, again, it's a tactic. Um, Red herrings are used a lot in, in TV crime shows. You know, they, they'll, they'll bait you into a theory like, you know, this person must have done it because they were at this point on XYZ and they expressed this emotion on this day. And, and that person might have nothing to do with the crime. Um, it's just trying to lead somebody down a path. And you might employ a whole mess of other fallacies in order to get your red herring to work, but... It's one, uh, it's probably one of the most well-known ones, but not one of the ones people think about too much when arguing. I could be wrong. And lastly, and I know this has been a short podcast, but the last one I want to talk about is the fallacy fallacy. Yep, you guessed it. It's when you get into an argument hoping that somebody uses a fallacy so you can point it out and win. This is kind of like watching a football match and if one of the teams was just playing to get the other team to make an accidental point, like a, a touchback or something, and winning off of those points. Getting into an argument with somebody, verbally, across the internet, whatever, and looking for them to use a fallacy for you to point out and discredit their entire conversation is the most ridiculous way you can argue. And I'm not advocating for that. This podcast, my points on all of this, is not so that you can go and sniff out fallacies and then rub it in people's faces when they use one. It's only really to educate yourself so that you don't use them. So that you sharpen and temper your arguments so that they're concise, they make a point, they're backed up by factual data. Like, I don't use the information and the knowledge of these fallacies against people. I use it to make myself better. And that's the point of most of my podcast, is to give you information, thoughts, and ideas to make you a better person, to help you realize that the world isn't a black and white world, that we live in various shades of nuance, and that critical thinking about things is the most important role you can play in life. 
we should all strive to be better people. And I think that if you go through a list of fallacies, or at least you have awareness of them, and you craft an argument without them, you've made a better argument. That's not to say that people that use fallacies don't have a point. You can use every fallacy I just listed and still have a good point. It's just these are tactics used to appeal and play on people's emotions, ignorance, misunderstanding, they're leading tactics, they're tactics. It's like trying to win a battle. Arguments should be a good exchange, a back and forth exchange of ideas. And I think they're perfectly healthy. I love a good debate. I love a good argument. I love like, you know, sprawling and, and spearing with somebody who has great points and we go back and forth. And sometimes I don't feel like it. I think one of the things that has made me a better person is learning about these fallacies, having awareness of them. And then when I need to make a point that I'm not so strong on and I don't think I can make it without fallacies, I don't make it. It, it, it honestly makes me argue less to know that these are cheap tactics to use in a conversation. And again, I want to point out, just because somebody uses a fallacy doesn't mean that their point's invalid. They're just using a fallacy. I'm sure, 100%, that in my normal, everyday interactions, when I'm expending as little energy as I can to argue with something or with someone about something I don't truly care about. I probably use fallacies like they're, they're Uno cards. It doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad person. I just want to spread awareness of them. I just thought it would be fun to talk about them. And I, you know, maybe you learn something or two. Maybe you get a kick out of the, the Texas sharpshooter as much as I do. Maybe you know somebody that only relies on fallacies to win arguments. I don't know. I hope this has been really informational. Um, if you're wondering what spurred this on, I did have a debate with somebody. Um, and basically they were questioning what white privilege was. Like they wanted examples of white privilege. So I gave it to them. I pointed out some historical anecdotal evidence. I suggested books for them to read. And their reaction was just like, you know, I'm an idiot, um, I'm, uh, I don't remember if there was name calling or not, but basically like every evidence that I pointed out, which by the way was not empirical statistical data, was empirical statistical data and that he didn't want data, he wanted real life stories. Honest to God, I cannot give real life stories about white privilege from a black person's like perspective. I'm not black. I've never experienced racism as seen through the eyes of somebody who is of color. I don't have those tools to my my uh, my toolbox. I can point out historical recorded instances. I can I can recommend books. I can show them videos, um, testimony. I could have provided them with any evidence they wanted, but they didn't want any evidence. Their point was to, I guess, let everybody know that they feel white privilege is a fallacy. And that was it. So it kind of led me on this whole thing about, well, you know, what are the points he used in his argument? And it was a lot of black and white, some ad hominem, a little bit slippery slope. Like, I mean, just boom, 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 boom. And I didn't point it out online. I didn't introduce it into the argument. I just used it as a reference to make myself better, to realize that expending energy to fight with somebody online 
was stupid. It didn't get me anywhere. It didn't make me a better person. It didn't add anything to my life. I'm not, I, I never once called them a racist. I'm not going to do it on this podcast. I don't think being a racist is a deal breaker for them, but that is what it is. Like, you know, I, what are you going to do? I, I got drawn into another fight, uh, an actual in-person verbal fight, which I didn't participate in when a colleague of mine was discussing with a patient the coronavirus and the patient was just like well i think the coronavirus is a government hoax you know like it all of this shutdown and stuff only affects the working class people and it has it has no effect on all of these bums that just soak up government money anyways and my colleague agreed and talked about how government conspiracies blah 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 and then they asked my opinion and i just flat out said I, I don't have any energy for this conversation, and I don't care. Um, you guys can believe whatever you want. That's fine. It's not really going to affect the world at large. And they're like, well, you don't think that like these shutdowns are harming America? And I was like, it doesn't matter what I think, because at the end of the day, I have no say. And that's probably the truest example of bowing out of an argument gracefully that I can give. And sometimes that's the only way you're going to win. You're not going to convince people that you're right. They're not going to convince you that they're right. And in honesty, the only win that can be had is peace from that argument, not being a part of it. So take that for what you will. I know this is kind of a super short episode. Um, I, I just have a lot of, a lot of negative headspace this week. Um, some of you may know, some of my close friends know, that uh, my dad died on Valentine's Day in 2016. And so this whole week is a little rough on me. And I had thought about doing a podcast just telling his story. And every time I started to record it, um, I just couldn't get through it. It would be nice to have a friend, um, somebody to give me a little of encouragement to try to get it out. Because I'd love to tell my dad's story. But I... Um, I just can't. <laughs> it sucks. I'm sorry. And I hate to bait you like this and then not give you it. But some things, I guess, are going to be private in my life. And maybe that's a story that I just got to keep to myself for a little bit. It's it's funny because a lot of people say that, you know, oh, I can't believe, it, you know, it seems like it was so soon. Like, it seems like it, it happened yesterday. And I guess one of the things I'm really struggling with is it seems like it happened forever. Like, I'm starting to forget how my dad sounded. I'm, I'm starting to forget what he looked like. Like, the picture of my head of my dad isn't matching up with pictures that I see sometimes. And it's... I don't know. I don't know. It's hit me hard this year. So, I apologize for the brevity of this. I know you guys like an hour, or you're used to an hour. But 40 minutes isn't wholly bad. And hey, you might have learned something. And if it makes you a better person, well, damn, I've done my job. So everybody have a great week, be dangerous, earn medals, and remember, mediocracy is for the cowards.